Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to No Chick Flick Moments. I am your co-host, Remy. And I'm your other co-host, B. This is our Supernatural Watchcast, your one-stop shop for all Supernatural meta. Yay! Here we are this week talking about Season 2, Episode 7, The Usual Suspects. Yes. Yes. And I got excited last week mm-hmm. when uh the preview for this episode not the preview but you know how netflix does where it kind of skips forward to the next episode and uh we open up this episode in like this fbi bullpen or it's not an fbi bullpen but it's a um a cop bullpen yeah and i i saw like 10 seconds of that or not even three seconds of that and i was like oh my gosh we're meeting victor henderson today but we're not <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I didn't want to burst your bubble, but here we are, and he's still ways out before we get to see him. Patience, patience for me. Yes, yes. This is our first outsider point of view type episode to take place in this show. Yeah, it is. It's not as, I I would say, explicit as some of the other outsider point of view episodes, but um, it's definitely playing with perspective and playing with a a format here a different sort of format here and uh it it was it was fun it was interesting yes but anyways sorry what have what have you learned so far it's like a it's like a cop episode we start with a cop but that's not much information let me tell you more about it Mm -hmm. this was an episode that was written by katherine humphress and directed by mike roll uh, this is Catherine's first episode, I think. I think solo, because she had one with John Shivan last season. You're right. You're right. It's her first solo episode. She uh, did uh, Dead Man's Blood with John Shivan right. in yeah. season one. And then she stays with the show uh, until season four, but this is her season two contribution and yes. then mike roll it's his first episode but he directs uh quite a few episodes through season uh seven of supernatural oh nice yeah so we'll get to see his name more frequently too yeah but this is his uh his opening act here the original air date for the episode was november 9th of 2006 and the synopsis for this episode reads sam and dean investigate the murders of a lawyer and his wife who claimed to have seen a ghost right before they died however after local detectives ballard and sheridan uncover the winchester's records they arrest the brothers for a double homicide before they are able to find the ghost when the ghost begins to visit ballard she begins to wonder if the tale sam and dean are telling her could be true and if she might be the next to die and like what a great premise for a show like i really like the idea of the mundane world and all of its laws catching up to the brothers and yet their world is infringing upon, you know, the orderliness that the cops are expecting. 
Yes. Yes. Um, it is like an outsider POV and it's, uh, I think it's, I think this is a good episode to do it. It's played pretty well because I agree with you. I love to see Sam and Dean like facing real world, real, real world consequences or not just living in their supernatural bubble. Uh, And then having that supernatural creep uh, happening to the the cops that are actually trying to <laughs> trying to make sense of the the brothers' myriad of crimes. I mean, mm-hmm. it's 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 similar, right, to what we saw in the Benders, and it's similar to what they do do with Victor later in the series. But you know what? I'm not even mad that they're reusing plot points here because it's just so good. It's a good dynamic. Yeah, yeah. Like, part of what inspired this episode, according to the companion manual, is that they wanted to talk about death omens and sort of dovetail that into a case where they think the spirit is, you know, the villain, but it turns out to actually be warning them of who is actually responsible for the deaths. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the benders. That's another great example of where the ultimate villain of the episode is not supernatural in nature. It's just, you know, the way that people suck. (laughs) Yep. I I think that, and we can talk about it more later um, as we go through the episode, but, you know, this, this was funny because it feels like they, it feels like they set out to do a, this doesn't feel like an episode of Supernatural. It feels like an no. outside perspective in that we're in an episode of CSI or we're in an episode of NCIS, some sort of procedural cop mm-hmm. show where... Um, you know, Ballard and Sheridan are the uh, protagonists. protagonist, and Sam and Dean are just their villain, not villains of the week, but they're you know the case, the case of the solve, week yeah. in a different genre of TV entirely. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that because mm-hmm. Mike Roll again in the book said that they tried to very intentionally film the you know the detective scenes in the cop shop. They tried to film them in the way that those procedurals are set up. And then when it goes to the brother's perspective or to the supernatural elements, that's when it is filmed like Supernatural, the TV show. Yeah. Yeah. I think that they did it successfully because it felt like they were uh, filming for a different genre and it had a totally different feel to the episode. And it was obviously uh, intentional. Yeah. So we start off with this recap of all of Sam and Dean's legal behavior in the show thus far, plus a reminder of the shapeshifter that they confronted in St. Louis, um, the one that Dean shot and killed while it looked the same as he did. Yep. And then we open to this cop shop in Baltimore. We have one detective grabbing a fax off the fax machine, bless, Um, (laughs) while another accompanies a SWAT operation on a motel room. Um, The detective in the cop shop, uh, Sheridan, he is the voiceover of this sting, um, describing crimes that include grave desecration and 
a callback to, again, that St. Louis shifter who was suspected of torturing and murdering a young woman. Um, but it wasn't the guy's first victim either. And we realize that he is talking to Dean at the same time that the SWAT team captures Sam at the motel. Yes, credit card fraud, breaking and entering, grave desecrations. I thought this was a pretty significant step up from your usual, what do you call it, blue collar uh criminal activity i don't know mm-hmm. and uh but it turns out he he just heard word from st louis and it looks like this isn't your first time yeah dipping your toes into the homicide pool <laughs> i'm so bad at metaphor stop me stop me no you got it like we don't know who karen is yet but as we see this episode unravel okay she's one of the murder victims of the week And this detective in particular is trying to point out how Dean must be a serial killer because um, there's been a couple deaths in Baltimore and then this one in St. Louis. Um, Yeah, he's really building up a rap sheet in the worst light of humanity. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we even heard... uh this detective Sheridan call to the fact that... uh, he he's he's getting word of all of the different aliases that the brothers have used and mm-hmm. you know the different names that they've been arrested under and things like that uh anyway so the big reveal with this dramatic uh cop shop voiceover is that the man in the interrogation room in custody is Dean Winchester and then like you said, that SWAT sting uh, was targeted at Sam, who got yeah. busted in their motel room alone. Yeah. So we're left wondering just how the hell they got to this place. Mm-hmm. So, title card. And we come back to Detective Ballard questioning Sam. And Sam is pointing out that they can't hold him or Dean without formal charges. Though Ballard points out he was pretty lost, so he should know better than that, that they can hold them for 48 hours. Yes. Sam gives a raised eyebrow. How'd you know that I was pre-law? Ballard. Oh, I know all about you, Sam. Mm-hmm. She goes through the full family history, you know, mentioning how they moved around a lot, but somehow he got into Stanford on a full ride with high grades. And about a year ago, he, his girlfriend died and he fell off the grid. And Sam explains it by saying he took time off to deal with it and is currently on a road trip with his brother. And it's going great. They are sightseeing. And Ballard just seems undeterred by what she's being told here. Yeah. Oh, your brother. Your brother, huh? huh? Well, let me... You know, we know all about your brother, those women in St. Louis. Uh, we, we caught him red-handed at the murder scene. Oh, mm-hmm. your brother's going away for a long time. Yeah. And that Jane's fingerprints showed up in APHIS on over a dozen possible hits which Sam points out possible means basically worthless. 
Um, but what will they find if they run Sam's prince? Um, Ballard is kind of ominously questioning him. And Sam, she he kicks back and he's like, yeah, you go ahead. You go ahead and run my prince. We'll see what you get. You let me know what you come up with. Mm-hmm. So obviously threatening that in- that kind of intimidation tactic that she was going for uh wasn't working so she i mean it's comical they're using so many they're using so many um cliches cop, cop show tropes and stuff like that but it's it's not comical it's not like exaggerated but it's it's funny to see because again this is this is supernatural and they're pulling out all the stops on this like procedural cop show kind of cliches yeah um but anyway so ballard uh had insinuated like oh you know your brother we caught him red-handed uh are you sure you want to go down with him and sam seems confident that they don't have anything concrete uh so he's not going to be intimidated so ballard switches tactics and she goes you know more catch them with honey Come on, Sam. You're it's not your fault that Dean's your brother. I can tell you're a good kid, but your brother, mm-hmm. he's a bad guy. And you don't have to you don't have to stick behind him. We can yeah, help you out. And she says very pointedly, you can't pick your family, mm-hmm. which I think she's hitting a bruise better than she realizes in Sam. Right, but she's not going to get anywhere with that. If it's hitting a bruise, then it's it's not going to do anything but harden harden him. I don't think. No, I agree. Just yeah, one of those. Oh yeah, he's got soft bits, and he has to not show it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she's saying that St. Louis is exhuming Dean's body to uncover how he faked his death as they speak. Um, and she is trying to appeal to Sam by pointing out how he tortured those women and his life is over, but Sam's doesn't have to be. Um, She's not asking Sam to turn against Dean just to fill in some missing pieces and to cut a deal with them to get on with his life because Dean's is over. Right. And Sam, uh, he kind of, he kind of takes a deep breath and he's like, okay, well, I think Ballard said something like, we just want to know why you're here. We just want to know what your connection to all this is. Mm-hmm. And Sam starts to share. He yeah. says, Tony Giles, who was apparently the first murder victim in this double homicide that we've been talking about. Uh, Tony Giles, uh, Sam says, you know, he was... Uh, in the core with my dad, they were uh, thick as thieves. You know, we practically grew up with the guy. We've known him since we were kids. So, of course, when we heard that Tony had died, we came to town right away. Mm-hmm. Now, naturally, as Sam's speaking about this, we're getting a flashback. And we realize that that story is completely made up. Um, and... It shows us Dean and Sam discussing Anthony Giles' death because Dean found it in a newspaper and they think it's possibly a case. Anthony Giles. Who's Anthony Giles? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. An old war buddy of your dad. Sure. Uh Uh-huh. Naturally. Yeah. 
So in this flashback, we discovered that Giles died by having his throat slit. Um, there was no DNA or prints left at the case, or at the scene, I should say. And the security cameras um, had no information on them. So they are thinking it's either someone wiped the tapes, or is it some sort of invisible killer, a.k.a. a ghost? <laughs> So they're going to check it out. We cut back to in the past. They're going to check it out. Yeah. Uh, in the present, we cut back to Sam and he goes on to say, and Karen, who we learn is uh, this, not only the second victim of this double homicide, but Karen Giles, Tony's wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam is saying. Widow now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, Sam is saying, oh, Karen. Karen was just a mess. We just we just wanted to be there for her. Yeah. So, of course, they're going to go comfort a family friend, right? But our flashback shows that Sam and Dean are playing insurance underwriters who are there to ask questions about uh, how Tony died. And so Karen's saying that he was working late on having computer troubles and called to let her know that he wasn't able to make supper. Um, and she has no idea who could have killed him. So Dean is asking if anything was out of place beforehand. And she says that Tony had a nightmare of a woman standing at the foot of his bed. Um, but sort of when he woke up, she was gone. But she was pale with dark red eyes. And that's kind of all the story she has for them before they leave. Yeah. We have this great comical beat where uh, they're, Sam and Dean are interviewing Karen and uh, Sam's got the puppy dog eyes on and uh, Dean is asking the quote unquote hard hitting questions, you know, oh, you know, the, these insurance companies, they have to do their <laughs> own, their own investigation. So tell us more about right before he died. Did he have, did anything unusual go on? Uh, Karen says, Un- unusual? Yeah, yeah, you know, strange. S- strange? What? Y- yeah, Karen, weird. <laughs> <laughs> you know, come on, Karen, work with me. Give us something. And she's just like, I don't see why an underwriter would want to know. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sam glares over to Dean for being too forceful. But, um... But make sure that the puppy dog eyes are back on when Karen looks over his way. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, if if she had to say something unusual that happened, then that nightmare fits the bill. Yeah. Yeah. So back in our present interrogation moment, Ballard is insisting that Sam be honest with her. You know, they have... An eyewitness who saw two men of Sam and Dean's description break into Tony's law office, but Sam is doing that fast talking again. He clarifies that Karen called them and said that the cops weren't letting her in for some belongings she wanted to retrieve from his office. So Sam and Dean offered to go with her key, even though the flashback is showing us um, Dean picking the lock. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know it was wrong to break into a crime scene, but Karen gave us the key. I know, right? We were only going to be there a minute. (laughs) So as they look around the office, they see this big, you know, kind of cleaned up stain of blood. And 
Dean is explaining how Giles, or sorry, Giles, had his throat cut so deeply that his spinal cord was visible. Brutal. Yeah. By the printer in this office, Dean finds a paper that has the mashed together word Dana Schulps printed over and over again, completely covering it. Um, and there's more than one of these pages. And while Sam is at the glass desktop, he notes that it likewise has those words smeared onto it with a fingerprint. Um, it becomes visible when he blows his breath onto the glass. Yes. Yeah. Okay, we've officially entered into weird territory. Just Dana Schulps, Dana Schulps, Dana Schulps. Yeah. Let's see if we can... What is it, a name? Let's see if we can find record of this Dana Schulps somewhere. Giles was a lawyer, so this is his office. There's lots of uh, personnel files and case files here. And Sam is taking a crack at... Giles's uh computer while Dean is looking through the file cabinets, but yeah. to no avail. Yeah, Dean finds nothing in the hard copies, and Sam finds nothing in his search online relating to Dana Schultz. So, like you said, he's still trying to crack Giles's password. He says he needs about another 30 minutes. And Dean sits and is able to stand maybe 10 seconds of doing nothing <laughs> before his restlessness um, has him opting to question Karen about this Dana Schultz instead. Yeah, yeah. He is fidgeting in that seat. Can't sit still, so. And annoying Sam doing it. Yeah, he was blowing raspberries and just generally making faces for the camera. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, while Sam's doing that, Dean is going to go back to Karen and see if she knows anything about this Dana Schultz person. Mm hmm. So we return to the cop shop, and Ballard in present time, is asking why Sam didn't go with Dean to check up on Karen, too. And Sam just says that he returned to the motel instead. So now he's all of a sudden asking, well, how'd you find me anyways? Mm -hmm. And Ballard says that Dean had the matchbook for the motel on him when they arrested him. So she insists that Sam give her the real reason why they separated. Did Dean go to kill Karen? But Sam says Dean didn't kill anyone. And yet Ballard reveals that Karen's 911 call had um, just this terrified aspect to it. And she was saying that someone was in the house with her. Yes. And the working theory is that that someone was Dean himself. Mm -hmm. But in the flashback. Yes, another flashback, and Karen is on the couch crying in her pajamas when a shadow spooks her, and she sees the pale woman at her patio window on the outside. She turns on a lamp, and this woman is gone, but Karen gets up to scope out the house, and she heads upstairs and calls 911, but she doesn't get too much out before the call dies. The power goes out, and then the printer starts whirring, printing Dana Schultz over and over again. The figure 
of that red-eyed woman appears behind Karen and she screams. Yes. Cut to black. Yeah. Or cut to Dean. Yeah, cut to Dean. Still in the flashback, he is knocking on Karen's door and then he picks the lock when she doesn't answer. And inside, the house is quiet, the power is still out, and he finds Karen upstairs collapsed in blood, her throat slit like Tony's. And he notes the printer paper with Dana Schulps here too. And he also notices on Karen's wrists that there are these big wrapped around bruises on each of them. Um, But while he's kneeling down examining her body, two cops point their guns at him. Blam, they're in the house and they are telling him to freeze. And Dean is shortly arrested. Yes. Uh, Wrong place, wrong time. The cops are responding to Karen's 911 call and catch Dean quite literally red-handed. Yep. His hands are very bloody as he holds them up beside his head. Mm Mm-hmm. So back in the cop shop, we go to Detective Sheridan this time, and he is behind a two-way mirror studying Dean in sort of the interrogation room. And Ballard steps in with Sheridan and confirms that all he has gotten from Dean are some wisecrack remarks. And we find out that Sam and Dean's stories match down to the last detail, so... You know, these boys are smooth liars under duress. They know their stories left, right, and center, even though they were split up and clearly lying. Right, right. And that's funny because, you know, contingencies on contingencies on contingencies, you wouldn't expect them to have a whole story to spin if that's very obviously the, you know, do this if you get caught. Do they really come up with a cover story for every for every situation like this or do they i don't know do you think they have a paint by numbers okay if both people are dead and there's no one that can contradict Mm -hmm. us then they were old family friends okay it does feel like there's contingencies and foot but there is also this element to this episode where they're telling us that sam and dean have the same sort of reflexes afoot here Mm -hmm. like the fact that they both do that matlock joke um so i think that um it's similar to what we observe sam explaining about how they meet up with each other using the phone book to pick the location um i think that it's like you said they have you know, maybe eight scripts for how they work things out. And then based off of the case that they're on, you know, is everybody dead? Yes. Okay. Follow this flow chart. <laughs> is everybody dead? No. Okay. Do this instead. Right. They right. probably have these beats kind of figured out because they know the easiest way to explain their presence around these people is that they're family friends. And if no one's there to say otherwise, then, you know, it's hard to disprove. Right. And you you could say it's just, oh, of course their stories are aligned. It's it's TV and it's written that way. But yes. <laughs> because they're smooth criminals. Yes. Uh, but one of my favorite things to see around Sam and Dean Winchester, especially from an outsider's perspective, is these 
flashes of just like brutal efficiency and competency that the winchesters the mythical winchesters are are truly on a level that most others are are not exactly and like the benefit of having the outsider point of view um come you know, partway into a second season is we've already spent a lot of episodes seeing the brothers in these circumstances. We see them struggling to solve a case, um, to put together the puzzle pieces and determine what comes next. And now that we are in an outsider point of view, um, all of a sudden, you know, all of that insecurity or doubt or, you know, the dead ends that they hit and have to backtrack and try a different route. We don't see those things happening. Instead, we are given this picture of efficiency, like you said. We see the competency behind these characters that um, their vulnerabilities are all hidden from us and... It's just fun to kind of see that outsider perspective and sit in those shoes for a bit and realize, again, how much of a point of view we are given with the show as it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because for nine out of ten episodes, we're just living in and with Sam and Dean, mm-hmm. the two brothers that make fart jokes. I don't know. Yeah, like we're we're seeing also like the dean who doesn't want to go back to Lawrence, Kansas, and who is crying on the phone with his dad saying like, "Please be here. I don't want to do this by myself." Mm -hmm. And then in this episode, like there is no hint to any of that. There's no hint to insecurities or you know those things that make us people. Those vulnerabilities. Right. Um, instead, we're just getting the wise cracking version of the character and the way that they're able to communicate even when they're not in the same room. Right, right. Uh, definitely. Mm-hmm. So Sheridan and Ballard, uh, they're both frustrated because they're not getting anything out of Dean or Sam. Uh, yes. Ballard, especially, is voicing some doubts, you know? what even if even if dean is was the murderer what's the proof we have nothing unless one or the other cracks unless we can get sam to turn on dean Mm -hmm. uh we have nothing Uh, we have nothing but circumstantial evidence there's where's the murder weapon what's the motive uh what do we have to work on we need to you know we we need to get somewhere with these guys yeah But Sheridan is taking it all in stride. He is assuring her that, you know, one of them will flip. And plus we have St. Louis in their back pocket, you know. Yeah. Um, There's going to be a way that they can catch these guys regardless. Right. For Um, Sheridan, it's cut and dry. Yeah. He, we literally caught him red-handed. Yeah. We want to solve the case. Here's the way we solve it. Right. Right. But Ballard's not so sure. No. Um, She does mention that Giles was, you know, he's a defense attorney. And um, she knows that he was Sheridan's friend um, and that he wants this case dealt with as soon as possible. 
But if Tony was dealing with criminals, then maybe one of them. Um, but Sheridan just shuts it down and says that as a defense lawyer, it was his responsibility to deal with criminals. And they clearly aren't going to agree. So they decide that, you know, they're going to let that lie. They're going to leave Sam and Dean to stew in their own juices for a bit. And surprisingly, Sheridan kisses Ballard before she goes. Yes. Yes. They, the two of them, secretly or not, to seem to have some romantic connection with each other. These yeah. partners. Yeah. So our next couple scenes here, we are cutting between Dean and Sam. Um, Dean is whispering Dana Schultz to himself. While Sam is working on a piece of paper, um, both are thinking that Dana Schultz is an anagram for the actual message that was being sent. Yes. And with Dean, who is thinking this over, he's interrupted by uh, Jeff Krause, a Mm -hmm. uh, somewhat squirrely looking man that comes into the interrogation room and introduces himself as uh, Dean's public defender. Uh, Hi, I'm your lawyer. And boy, are you in a pickle. (laughs) (laughs) Dean sarcastically. Oh, thank goodness. I'm saved. Yeah, finally. Hoof. Um, We know the cops have Dean's prints and his bloody hands, but no weapon. And Dean's like, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay, can you give me a piece of paper? And he just wants to work on the anagram while um, Jeff is talking. And Jeff is like, are you taking this seriously? And he's like, yeah, yeah. But first, look at this list of words (laughs) that I've made. Tell me if any of them are familiar on a local level. And Kraus is like, well, this one here kind of works. Like, Ashland is a street. Um, but yeah, he's like, can, can we talk about, you know, your, your case and the way that you're going to be arrested and, like, your rap sheet? And Dean just asks Jeff if he can get in to see Sam and pass on a message. <laughs> Now, son, I don't think that you're taking this seriously. Mm-hmm. Look, the thing that's going to help me is you giving this note to Sam. Now go. Yeah. Like, we're getting a little callback to the pilot here where Dean is, you know, once again in a sheriff's office at that point, And he's getting interrogated. He is cuffed to another desk. <laughs> and... We don't see him sweating over that. He figures, you know, he's going to get out of that pickle, so he's going to get out of this one, too. You don't really see him worrying whatsoever about the consequences of being arrested. Yes. Well, he's already a known fugitive. Yeah. I mean, it's just another walk in the park for him. Now, granted, he was presumed dead at this point, but no longer. No. I mean, it gives you a little wiggle room, I guess, when legally they don't think that you exist anymore, (laughs) but that cat's out of the bag. So with that conversation with the public defender over, we cut to Detective Ballard. 
she is typing up a report regarding Tony when all of a sudden her computer begins repeating the words Dana Schultz over and over. It's, you know, taking up the computer screen and then all of a sudden it flickers and the report goes back to normal. And no one else in the office seems to notice it, but she is clearly rattled by what just occurred. Yes. And we know this is a bad omen for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a good scene. So we cut to Sam with Jeff Krause. And Sam is reading the note from Dean. And um, this is, again, when he calls the public defender Matlock the same way that Dean called him Matlock. And Jeff is like, wow, you sure are brothers, aren't you? <laughs> Born and um, raised. I mean, I we never see Sam doing as many pop culture quips. So it did feel a little scripted rather yeah. than the way that Sam would react. But again, I think it's going to show that the brothers are on the similar wavelengths, even when they're not in each other's presence. And um, giving us that element to reinforce the connection they have with each other. Right. No, I, I agree that it seemed a little out of character for Sam, the way that he was um, acting while yeah. in custody. But, but, to be fair, he is, you know, a man in custody. So he's being guarded and he's being, you know, he's not the wisecracking total asshole that his brother is but he's also giving nothing away yeah it just i again it doesn't feel like it's in character for sam mm -hmm. to kind of kick out a public defender but at any rate um ballard enters the room and she instructs uh kraus to go to dean um because it turns out dean has decided to confess Yes. So we see Dean with a camera set up to record his confession in his interrogation room. And uh, there's a lot of detectives here to to see what Dean has to say. We yes. see both Ballard and Sheridan and Kraus, the defender. Mm -hmm. Uh, in the interrogation room and uh, uh, quite a few, like I said, quite a few other detectives in the observation deck and in the interrogation room as well. Yeah, yeah, they're all here to see what he's going to say. And it turns out that Dean gives his legendary Aquarius speech <laughs> in this moment. We know it. We love it. My name is Dean Winchester. I'm an Aquarius. I enjoy sunsets, long walks on the beach, and frisky women. And then, not only that, but he starts going in onto the truth about this case. Um, he is giving a description of the vengeful spirit that both Giles saw and Karen, plus the words that it left behind that got jumbled into that anagram. Um, Dana Schultz could be a street, but whatever happened started in that address. And as he talks, Sheridan just grows irate. He gets up and he slams Dean against a wall and Ballard shows up and calls for Sheridan to stop. 
But um, Dean says, you asked for the truth. So um, disgusted, Sheridan walks out. Yep. I am not confessing to murder. I did not kill anyone, but we think we know who did, or rather, what did. Mm-hmm. Working theory, vengeful spirit. Oh, yeah, those martyrs in St. Louis, not me either. Shapeshifter. Oh, my God, yeah. He is just spilling all the beans and, I guess, working towards a psych ward consultation. <laughs> so, obviously, this is not the confession they thought it was going to be. Not at all. And Sheridan's so pissed. Like, not only that, but he and Detective Ballard go to Sam's room only to discover that he has escaped. Um, Ballard finds the note that Dean asked um, the public defender to deliver. And the pseudonyms on the message, um, Hiltz and McQueen, come from the film The Great Escape. So there's a hidden message in the fact that Dean was informing Sam that Dana Schultz is an anagram for Ashland and Ashland is a street. Yep. So here we go. Sam, again, I think that we're getting um, indication of all those backup clues and things like that. Like just their shared history and the shared knowledge of how each other would approach things is allowing them to communicate in a way that is just not clear to anyone else. Right, right. Dean was sending Sam a message to get out, continue investigating. Uh, And Dean was also creating, with his confession, a distraction that allowed Sam the freedom to make his great escape. Yeah. So even without coordinating themselves, they are coordinated in their approaches. Yeah. So all of that is just, again, really cool to see. We follow Detective Ballard as she goes to the washroom to kind of pull herself together. And within the lights start fritzing and each of the taps at the sinks begin turning on. Um, Boiling water seems to be pouring out by themselves, and in a steamy mirror, the words Dana Schulps appear, plus the pale woman's reflection. Yes. Spooky ghost. Spooky ghost. Ballard sees the pale woman, uh, not just in the reflection, but when she looks over her shoulder, she's still there and is advancing on ballard the pale woman is and she seems to be trying to speak uh it's a you know the the ghost woman with her throat cut i don't know if we mentioned that before no this is kind of the first time we're getting a clear view of that and the way that she's gurgling around that cut right her throat is slit and um she is not yet attacking Ballard, but rather she seems to be trying to say something, but is unable to because of her injury. Yeah, she's not rushing at Ballard, but her arms are outstretched and she, again, is making this noise like she's trying to communicate. Yeah. But regardless, terrifying. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you. (laughs) She's kind of shaken, 
Um, and Ballard, you know, just goes to Dean and, you know, okay, quietly, hey, so what you were saying during your confession, um, l- let's pretend you're not crazy. Can you tell me more about spirits? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Dean notices something uh, about Ballard that gets his attention immediately. And that's uh, these dark bruises that have appeared on Ballard's wrist. And Dean says, what, where did you get those? And Ballard says that she didn't have them before. And before... Dean connects the dots. Oh, you you saw the ghost. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. That's not good for you. No. And that Karen had those bruises, too. So, um, some of the information he was giving Ballard about spirits is saying that, um, they usually come back for nasty reasons, like revenge, and, um... She asks if they can kill people, and he's like, well, look at Karen. And then when those bruises are revealed on Ballard's wrists, then he says that they have little time. Um, The last people died shortly after seeing the ghost. So he tells Ballard to go find Sam and ask him for help, and then recites the code they used to pick a meetup spot after they've separated. Yeah. Yeah, Ballard is very surprised that Dean would give up Sam, give up his brother, mm-hmm. uh, by telling her, a cop, <laughs> exactly where Sam would be, which is look up the first uh, motel in the Yellow Books and then go and Sam would have a reservation under uh, Jim Rockford. Mm-hmm. And that's how they find each other when they're separated. Yeah. So go there and arrest him or let him save your life. Right. Right. So she she says, you're giving him up. And Dean says, well, you know, do what you will. But I don't, if you want to live, then. Yeah. Can I offer a suggestion? And- <laughs> Put put your life value, um, put it first. Then you may want to hear Sam out before you arrest him. Yeah. So we cut to Sam, and he is surprised to find Ballard at his door. Um, but he sees the bruises and asks um, what Ballard saw. And she says that she feels crazy for not arresting him. But he, like Dean, is like, well, it can wait till after we save your life. (laughs) Yep. So he gets the description again. A pale woman, red eyes, a cut throat that blocked her ability to speak. And Sam shows Ballard his research of the victims on Ashland Street. And um, at first Ballard's a little like, how the hell did you get these photos? Like, these are crime photos. Like, these go in our confidential files. And Sam's like, well, you're good at your job. I'm good at mine. <laughs> no, no, don't don't worry about that. Do you recognize any of these people? Any of these recent homicides or... Yeah. yeah. And Ballard does. Um, there's a woman that looks like a mugshot for Claire Becker, age 28, who disappeared about eight months ago. 
Um, prior to that, she was arrested for heroin. And um, D Sam is like, did you happen to work in narcotics? And yeah, both Ballard and Sheridan worked in it previously. Um, even though they weren't the ones to bust Claire. So they decide that they are going to go check out Claire's last known location and hopefully find her body. Um, so Ballard, her body? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how, how again is this like your Tuesday? <laughs> this is just an average day for you, huh? Gotta salt and burn the bones, don't you know? I don't know, but I'm <laughs> terrified too. <laughs> yeah, and, and Claire, Claire, uh, Sam has her file, I suppose, because of her arrest, her previous arrest in the missing persons report. Uh, but it's not a known homicide or anything like that right now. It's just a missing persons report. But but uh, uh, Ball Ballard recognizes Claire as the ghost, so obviously dead. <laughs> Let's go find yeah. her. Yeah. So we arrive at this sketchy looking building. Um, Sam and Ballard are investigating and they split up inside. But on her own, Ballard ends up seeing the spirit and calls to Sam for backup. Um, the spirit is gone before he arrives. Um, but Ballard did see her reaching towards a window that is sort of blocked by a shelving unit. So Sam goes over and uses his big muscles to push it <laughs> aside and they discover this glass window front that says in faded font, Ashland Supplies. Right. And uh, this is the source of the mysterious letters that formed the anagram of Dana Schulps. The letters get jumbled in the spirit world. Yeah, uh, but basically, here's your puzzle word, that S-U-P Ashland. Yeah, the last four letters of the supplies are gone, so that's where Dana Schultz comes from. And the light is casting through the font and hitting on this brick wall at the back. So Sam follows that light casting and he pulls out the EMF reader and it starts going off at the wall. And again, Cher or sorry, Ballard is like, oh my god, more tools of the trade here. <laughs> yes, when Sam pulls out his EMF meter, uh, he's giving her a little history tour of supernatural uh, hunting methods and what what have you. Anyways, yeah. the EMF should theoretically, if uh, there's spirit activity here, if her body is here. Then it, uh, then the EMF will pick it up. And sure enough, the EMF, uh, meter starts to pick up around that brick wall. Yeah. That the light and the letters were shining on. So Sam's going to break in and, you know, this seems to be, uh, they're hoping, they're hoping to find Dana's body here, not Dana, Claire's body here. Mm -hmm. uh, but Sam thinks this is weird. This is weird because what has Claire done? Claire has guided them right to her body. No vengeful yeah. spirit wants to get wasted. 
yeah, if this is her final resting place, then why would she lead a couple, you know, people hunting that could release her from enacting her revenge? So, you know, salt and burning is par for the course, but spirits don't want to be released. And it turns out that, sure enough, there is a body behind this wall, and when they drag it out and sort of uncanvas it, um, the body has bound wrists and a locket that Ballard recognizes. It is a custom one, and it looks just like the one that Detective Sheridan gave to her. Yeah. Yeah. Unique necklace. I have one just like it. Yeah. And I'm like, what a move. Oh my god, what a move. I mean, you gotta think that you are hot shit to pull off something like that. I mean, this guy very obviously thinks he's hot shit later on. I didn't do anything. It wasn't me. Kara was gonna sell me out. Not Karen. Uh, Claire was gonna sell me out. What was I supposed to do? Not kill her? Mm-hmm, hmm He's a total psychopath. Yeah. So... We're getting more and more evidence from this scene that it is not a vengeful spirit that is our killer, but something much more mundane. A death omen. Mm -hmm. Not out for vengeance, but for justice. Yeah. And they warn targets before their imminent demise. And if she wants justice, it's on her killer, Detective Sheridan. And in this moment, Ballard remembers about a year ago that some heroin went missing from lockup, which a cop would need to be the person to pull it out. And more so than that, they would need some sort of fence in order to sell it. So they posit that Detective Sheridan used Claire to make the money off selling the heroin and then killed her afterward. Yeah. And we're not sure where uh, Giles and Karen fit in yet. I think that Sam was even speculating. So what's this Claire's connection with? Like, why is Claire killing these people? Again, the question was always motive. Yeah, yeah. It makes a little bit more sense now that it's not Claire herself, but she's just the death omen trying to warn uh, the people that are getting too close to the truth to Sheridan. Yeah, and, like, I don't think that Sam and Dean would have uncovered necessarily the connection if it wasn't for Ballard's involvement. Because it's her memory of what took place um, that really is giving the hidden insight needed to reveal who the actual killer is. Right. Well, I don't know, B. Sheridan's not being very subtle right now, is he? No, but how are they going to be like, okay, some heroin went missing from lockup. Doesn't and matter. They just need to know. They just need to figure out who killed her. And turns out where, you know, now Sam is saying, so how much do you know about your partner? Turns out as Ballard has called in uh, this discovery, I suppose, uh, looking for Sheridan, uh, he has taken Dean and 
said that he was Dean was to be extradited to St. Louis and Sheridan on his own with no expedition order in sight, uh, extradition, excuse me, <laughs> has apparently put Dean in a van and <laughs> just drove Take away with him. At, like <laughs> two in the morning. <laughs> at two in the morning. And I, I just, I just loved how Ballard was like, he just took him. I'm like, Sheridan, I thought you were trying to get away with murder, not put a big red flag over your head. Right? And it's like, you could tell that this is the part in the script where they're like, okay, we're writing Supernatural. We are not writing a cop procedure. We we don't care anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're letting this guy go off the rails. Yeah. Sheridan's not the the pseudo-protagonist anymore, so he can just be the crazy guy yeah yeah and like dean even notices while he's in the back of this van that hmm you know two and two does not equal four in this instance something's not adding up yeah and it's a good thing that ballard did get this information um because now they have to try and figure out where the hell sheridan is going with dean and um Sam points out that if he's in a county vehicle, then they just need to turn on the low jack to find him. Yes. And so they're off. But yes. right now we're sitting with Dean and Sheridan. Yes. Sheridan has turned down an empty road and he has parked and gotten out and opened the back um, sort of lockup part of the vehicle. And he tosses Dean to the ground and calls him, you know, cocky and whatever other swear words they couldn't say on cable TV. <laughs> um, and he um, he's not going to make it to St. Louis, is what he's telling Dean. He is going to kill Dean right here and now as he tries to escape custody. Yeah, Sheridan is villain monologuing. He is laying out his master plan, which is uh, apparently take off with a GPS monitored vehicle, <laughs> show that you are uh, driving someone Off-road. under your custody to a remote location, <laughs> <laughs> and then Dean is uh, Sheridan's plan is that Dean is going to. Um, just be tragically murdered, or uh, what do you call it? <laughs> Shot by cop, death by cop. Yeah, suicide god. by cops. Oh god. Well, yeah. Yeah. let's call it what it is: murdered. Yeah. Um, Dean is going to be killed trying to escape, and Sheridan would just have had no choice but to stop the. Yeah. Totally. The I mean, it's an innocent situation. No one would look at this and be like, hmm, hmm, nothing hmm. about this makes sense. <laughs> hmm, hmm. And then I suppose at the end of the day, Sheridan, uh, you know, it was Dean all along that killed Giles and Karen and... St. Louis deaths. The St. Louis deaths are proof enough that Dean's a serial killer and... Okay. Murder weapon, murder weapon. Motive, motive. He's got a gut instinct. <laughs> but anyways, so Sheridan has Dean on the ground, pistol 
pointed and Dean is trying to say, come on, come on, hold on. You don't want to do this. You don't want to do something you're going to regret. Hey, I'm just a little guy. It's my birthday. <laughs> Sheridan you cocks the gun. little guy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, 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 okay. I get it. You're serious. Okay. Well, uh, Sam and Ballard to the rescue. Yes. They show up in the nick of time, and Ballard is pointing her gun at Sheridan, saying to drop his weapon. And she wants to... Well, she's telling him that she knows about Claire, and Sheridan refuses. He says that he doesn't have a choice, like he said. And he had to kill her, he had to kill Tony, he had to kill Karen. And we find out that Tony laundered the money from the heroin sale, and then got skittish and wanted to come clean. And so, of course, Sheridan had to clean up that mess. And Karen, no doubt, knew what her husband knows. And so he panicked and got rid of her, too. But but it's fine, you know. We've got it all under control. We'll just pin it all on Dean. And he'll just be one more dead scumbag. Which is so offensive to Dean. <laughs> hey! Hey. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> as soon as Dean calls attention to himself with that, hey, who are you calling a scumbag kind of affront? Uh, he, he realizes, oh, wait, no, I actually don't want the crazy man with a gun to have his attention on me. <laughs> yeah, just... may- maybe I want to blend into the background <laughs> right now. I'll try to be, oh, no, little old me again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Sheridan is appealing to Ballard, like, Look, I still love you. Everything's gonna be okay. This this Dean guy, he's a gift. He's he's exactly what we needed. And Ballard is just not backing down. Obviously, of course. No, but she does kind of lower her weapon a little bit, which has Sheridan looking really relieved. Um, but when he turns to shoot Dean, Ballard gets him first. Um, she shoots him in the leg and gives enough opportunity for Dean to roll away. Yes. Uh, Sheridan goes down and Ballard goes to stand over him and basically call him the son of the bitch. And as Ballard gets close, though, Sheridan uh, tackles her to the ground Mm-hmm. And now it is a uh, mad grab for the pistol that has got dropped in the shuffle. Yeah. And unfortunately, Sheridan manages to grab it. He, or I guess he manages to get a hold of his gun again. Yeah. Or right. at least a gun. Um, And he points it at Sam and Dean and then turns it on Ballard herself. But in that moment, behind him, Claire's spirit reappears. And he turns, he sees her, and is almost paralyzed by her. At least long enough for Ballard to get a hold of a weapon and take a shot and kill Sheridan. Yes. Yeah. Claire serves as a very effective distraction. Yeah. I mean, if I saw that, I would be distracted, too. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 
Sheridan confronted by his victim, the spirit of his victim. And it's almost poetic justice, I guess, that Claire gets to witness his demise. Mm-hmm. So, cut to daytime, and they are still out in this remote location. Detective Ballard seems really broken up about Sheridan. Um, but, um, yeah, she she's open about it. She says she's not all right when Sam asks. And she wants to know what happens next with the death omen. Yeah, and it should be, they say, that uh, Claire's spirit would be at rest now. The death omen should stop. Uh, her killer was brought to justice. And Claire's spirit should have moved on. Yeah. But Dean has a bit more of a pressing concern, which is, what now, officer? <laughs> what are you going to do with us? Oh, maybe I'll just turn my back for a minute and, oh, they just ran away real fast. I didn't yeah. see a thing. Well, she does also assure them that, you know, Sheridan really hooped the case against them. So there's a good chance that it'll get dismissed. But the St. Louis charges are going to remain. She can't help on that front. But like you said, if if they escaped, um, she, she just wants them out there doing what they do best. She'll sleep better at night knowing that they're the ones breaking down brick walls in decrepit buildings, freeing bodies and burning bones. <laughs> Yeah, she's basically saying, you know, I can I can do the best that I can to clear your name here. Like, I know, I know that you're innocent. I don't want to stop you guys from, like you said, doing what you do best. Uh, and let's just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. And she does give a pointed warning here where she tells them to watch their backs because there is a target on both of them now. Yeah, yeah, they'll be looking for you. Yeah. And she gets ready to phone in this ordeal with Sheridan. Um, but before he loses the opportunity, Dean asks where he can find the Impala, <laughs> and she mentions it's impounded, and he gets a look on his face, so she's like, do not <laughs> steal this. <laughs> like, like, do not go back. Just get out of town. Are you crazy? And they're like, eh, it's okay. We'll just yeah. improvise. Yeah. We're good at that. Yeah. And, yeah, now's the moment. She turns her back and Sam and Dean leave. And on their way hiking it back to town, I presume, um, Dean makes a comment that, you know, Detective Ballard looks familiar. And for some reason, he's craving pea soup. Yes. Hey, did yes. she look familiar? To nice lady for a cop. Did she look familiar to you? And apparently that was something that Jensen just ad-libbed when they were doing the ADR for the scene. Because <laughs> when it was filmed, they just walked silently. Sure. And then in the studio, they ad-libbed some stuff on top of it. Sure. Sure. That's funny. Yeah, and the reason why she looks familiar is because she played little baby Reagan in The Exorcist back in 78 or whatever it was. So we have a, a veteran... 
horror actor here with Linda Blair playing Detective uh, Ballard. Yep. Mm-hmm. Quite a get for Supernatural season two. <laughs> I don't know. Glee season two had John Stamos, so. Oh my god. I thought that was a Comparable. big get. Comparable. Comparable. <laughs> one is like one of the youngest Academy Award winners. And the other one has really nice dark hair. <laughs> Tornado Tornado. Like, they're really quite the same thing. <laughs> I mean, I think so. I mean, I won't hold it against you. You're well <laughs> entitled to your opinion. Wow. <laughs> okay, we went from joking to condescending real quick there, B. <laughs> I'm sorry. I really didn't mean it to sound condescending. I was just like, I do not know Full House. So I'm like, I can't riff with you anything about him besides the fact that he's handsome. <laughs> he's handsome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so, that was episode seven. B. Yeah. What was your final takeaway? I mean, holy shit, look at the time. It's... <laughs> <laughs> wow, this one flew. And, like, that's the thing about this one, is I I like it for being a one-off. Like, again, we'll say it a million times, this outsider point of view um, was taken to the next level in this episode. They really approached it as if... Ballard was the protagonist and we are seeing the world of Supernatural through her lens. And so that was a really cool take on Sam and Dean. Mm -hmm. um, but as you can see from how long it took us to record this, it also only offers us minimal insight into Sam and Dean. And so for me, it is an interesting practical example on a plot-driven narrative versus a character-driven narrative. Like, I struggle a lot with that when I'm writing. I tend to write really plot-driven, and I find that this episode is like a light bulb moment for me in seeing the downsides or the shortcomings that come from doing a plot-driven story. And it is that you are sacrificing those moments with the characters and sacrificing that personal insight and that vulnerability and those things that really make you love them. You know, we still get those moments where we think Sam and Dean are cool, but we don't get as many moments that touch our hearts and make us feel more connected to those characters. So, yeah, this is just like a swirling bundle of words I'm trying to describe a collection of emotions. But basically, my takeaway is that I really like that we did an outsider point of view story, and I'm really glad that we don't do more of them. <laughs> uh, no, you definitely hit the nail on the head uh, with what you were saying about uh, plot-driven episodes versus character-driven episodes, and this was definitely one of the latter. And... Uh, it was a cool break from the established uh, rhythm of the show to do an episode like this, mm -hmm. uh, where when they do do 
uh, episodes like this. They break the mold. Uh, it's always worth noting. It's always something that you remember. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's kind of just like a fun thought experiment. Yeah, you don't want it to become the bread and butter of the series. Right, because otherwise you're just getting Monster of the Week, Monster of the Week, Monster of the Week, Monster of the Week. Uh, when what is really the heart and soul of the show is those uh, character moments and the character dynamics that we get yeah, from Sam and Dean and other characters that we learn to care about. And yeah. this outsider perspective, we don't like Ballard as uh, our protagonist and our point of view. They she doesn't know Sam and Dean. She's not. Uh, she's not smitten with them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna say she doesn't have the the insider view to to the uh. Well, how should I say? Their internal workings and who they are as kind of characters. Right. She's on the outside looking in. So um, I like what you said where, you know, there are these moments where we think Sam and Dean are cool, but <laughs> we're not, uh, we're not getting a feel for their uh, emotions and motivations in. Yeah in this episode which is which is fine because honestly i think it was a really good episode i mean I, it was fun yeah it was fun to watch absolutely like i don't want any of these any of the commentary to feel like and that's why we don't like this episode right. no like i really like this episode but i like that it is like a dessert and it's not the full course meal of supernatural <laughs> right right so and, like, your comment about, um, you know, Monster of the Week, Monster of the Week, Monster of the Week, like, those episodes can be really effective when it's, like, when you're doing that balance between character work and plot work. Like, when the case is built in a way that it is conveying something about the characters. Like, there's some sort of connection that they are tying between what they're dealing with. Because typically in a show that is structured the way that Supernatural is, we have the arc level episodes, then we have, you know, the monster of the week ones. And it's the arc ones that are more plot driven, and then the monster of the weeks that are the character driven. And we are seeing, you know, this unique moment of a monster of a week that's plot driven. And... It just serves to highlight, again, the importance of always bringing it back to the characters and always giving us something within the characters to feel or to connect what they're doing to. It's not just, we need to do this for plot reasons, but we need to do this and it is having this impact on me. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I 100,000% uh, agree with everything that you're saying. And... Uh, I mean, overall, it was a, a fun episode, but meta-wise, there wasn't much meat on the bones, if that yeah. is a good way to put a pin on it. 
Yeah, yeah. We get those interesting insights into how Sam and Dean communicate when they are not in direct communication with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's like a, hey, neat, rather than, a, ooh, what does this mean for the character? Or at least that's how I feel upon watching The Outsider point of view. Yeah, yeah. And even in the wider uh, arc of things, like we don't touch at all on the wider plot points that have been carrying us through season two so far. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is very much a kind of a bottle episode. Yes. Yes. Single point. Unique thing. How many different ways can I say that it's a standalone? (laughs) Let's find out. (laughs) (laughs) So my, my takeaway is I feel like I'm Bernie Sanders on the cold winter streets of (laughs) Illinois standing bundled up dead deadpan into the camera hello i'm here once again to implore you to give me more supernatural characters that are not just sam and dean Oh, no. <laughs> so so my final takeaway because like the last couple of episodes i have harped on um oh give me more ellen give me more joe i love seeing uh more characters come in and it's mm-hmm. not just the sam and dean show um so for for this episode uh not that ballard and sheridan were anything other than just cop show protagonists uh, mm-hmm. character archetypes um but it is it was fun to see an episode where Sam and Dean are confronted by the realities of the real world mm-hmm. and uh, we've seen it a couple of times before and we'll see it a couple of times in the future uh but just any time that we kind of open the door a little bit more, like, ooh, what is this whole, like, hunter community that Joe and Ellen seem to be a part of that we know nothing about? Or uh, what yeah. does it look like when uh, you're Joe Smo off the, off the street uh, has to confront and you know what maybe that's not the right way to put it I was going to say it has to confront the realities of the supernatural which that's kind of not the way to put it because you can argue any episode is you know, someone getting confronted with the realities mm-hmm. of supernatural um, but it's uh, it is played in such a way that we are put in Ballard's shoes and she's seeing Sam and Dean and she's seeing the supernatural and we're supposed to, you know, see the opening of this world from her perspective. And, and it's just, this episode obviously has more of an emphasis on the outside realities of things that exist beyond Sam and Dean in the motel room, reading newspapers and salt and burning bones uh that i will always appreciate yeah and you know it's one of the few times that we see 
Um, you know, even though Dean went through the whole spiel of this is the supernatural, it's not like he did it to convince any of the cops that it's real. He did it as a distraction. So this is one of the few times that we see sort of a civilian get confronted with the reality of the supernatural in this series and then have to come to the conclusion of, hmm, I don't know what's going on here. I'm out of my depth and... But it's showing curiosity and openness to the fact that it exists. Like Yes. I think that's I think that's the distinction because typically in your in your any day monster of the week, uh, you have the victim. And the victim has to come to terms with whatever's happening to them real quick. But then mm-hmm. that, then they just move on, you know? Yeah. And they have Sam and Dean kind of there as the midwife bringing them into the supernatural world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But here we had her, you know, she's seeing the spooky ghost while she's in the bathroom trying to wash her hands. And then she is putting two and two together based off of what she heard before and what she saw on the computer on her own. And And then in the last 10 15 minutes of the episode she is the she's partnered with sam going out and actually you know hunting the thing um yeah and again not to say that i'm not putting some undue emphasis on uh ballard's Ballard's character. character uh but it was just that break from the mold that makes it compelling yeah and it like like you said it's the potential um, it's, you know, Cassie is introduced in season one and how cool would it have been to have her occasionally crop up and be like, Hey, I got wind of one of your guys's cases. You know, this is yeah. your type of thing. You know, it's just, again, it's that enrichment of the text. It's that complicating element that makes it more rewarding to see the characters interact with. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I am are. I am all for the Sam and Dean show. I am here <laughs> recording a podcast for the Sam and Dean show. <laughs> but uh, uh I I I know it's the Sam and Dean show, so I'm going to crow when it's not just the Sam and Dean show. Mhm. Mhm. I'll give Again, it that. we're looking at potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was season two, episode seven. Yep. The Usual Suspects. The Usual Suspects. That's a movie, right? Correct. I wonder if they made some sort of pop culture. There was a lot of pop culture references in this movie, and I was like, I didn't watch enough early 80s tv for you dean sorry yeah me neither i'm like just slightly out of the range of his references <laughs> alas well next week is episode eight of season two crossroad blues Ooh man we got a huge shake up to the lore of the supernatural world coming for us yes i am excited mm-hmm. holy crap the implications of the next episode alone. <laughs> yeah, we hope we see you guys there. 
Um, before you go, it would be wonderful if you would spend a couple moments, you know, 30 seconds tops, just go and give us a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you are listening. It really helps with our visibility and getting more listeners. And it's just, you know, clicking five stars on your behalf. And if you want to send us any more in-depth um, comments, again, you're welcome to leave a written review or reach out to us on our website, on our Twitter, on our Tumblr. We have all the links available to you and we are just happy to hear from you. Yes, we are happy you guys are listening and we will see you next week for Crossroad yeah. Blues. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye.